Hello, my name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. Today's guest and with respect is Hannah Sward. Hannah is an author, and we're going to be talking about uh, her life, her, her interests, her, her writing, but, and one of her uh, major works is her book called Strip, a memoir. With respect, Hannah Sward. We'll be right back. So, Hannah, how are you today? I'm very well. I'm very well. Very happy to be uh, to be on with you. And as I was saying earlier, it's such an honor. So, thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on as well. And uh, because you are uh, such a special person, I'm going to tell you that <laughs> the uh, the sun has come out. For the first day in two weeks here, where I'm from, re, uh, I'm having my side of this conversation, and therefore it picks me up, and I'm happy, and this is going to be fun. So, Hannah, <laughs> where are you from originally? I'm from Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, yes, okay. Canada. And how about walk me through your your life? Your mom, let's talk about your mom and dad, um, uh, brothers, sisters. What what's your family sound like? Look like? Let's see. Well, I grew up for the first nine years in Victoria, British Columbia, to a poet father and my uh, mother. And my father was married quite a number of times before before I was born. So I had a number of half brothers and sisters. And I grew up, you know, in a family of artists in the seventies, uh, bohemian, you know, hippies. My father was very involved in yoga and meditation and following gurus uh, at the time Baba Muktananda so that was a very big part of my childhood poetry and uh, and gurus okay <laughs> and meditation I mean everything that goes with that and I grew up with my father uh, my, my mother met a sculptor and left when I was two and I grew up with, so was my father and uh, a Russian stepmother. And we moved around quite often. We moved uh, from Victoria to the Toronto Island, uh, a 15 minute ferry ride from, from Toronto itself. And on that island, uh, you know, it was a somewhat chaotic childhood as many of us uh, grow up. Mm -hmm. and and on this island there was no cars or stores and we we moved into a house that had a outhouse inside the house mm. and 
and a bathtub in the kitchen and a uh, you know furnace with this swing that if you swung into it, you would swing into the furnace. <laughs> and I just give these, I give these little little clips just to give an idea of the kind of childhood it, it was. Uh, and and you know literature was a huge part of, of my childhood. Well, let me stop you there for just a second. Um, you know, one of the things, now we're talking, I am now talking to an author, a published author. And um, as we're going to talk about, you went through a lot of different things in your life before you went from your interest in, in um, literature, writing, mm -hmm. poetry, uh, all around you. And now you're back at it. You're back at uh, the uh, the world of, of letters and of uh, expression and putting down things on paper or as we say now <laughs> typing it in um, mm -hmm. so I will tell you that I've had this about uh, 700 shows that that I've done over the years and in those 700 shows I've talked to people who started at some point and went on a straight line. They wanted, when they were five years old, they wanted to be a pianist, and that's what they did straight through, no deviations, nothing got in the way. Mm. Another one was a politician. He was a politician in the crib, and he went on straight to be a <laughs> national figure. Uh, no deviations. However, of the 700 people that we've had on our show, six of them did that. Most everybody, and I mean an awful lot of accomplished people and in many areas uh, of human endeavor, they didn't, they, they went zigzag. You know, mm. they went this way, they went that way. Um, they wanted to be a baseball player. Uh, and all of a sudden, they end up doing something they really, really uh, like. Uh, mm. But they say to themselves, and they, they keep this treasure in the back of their, in the back of their minds. What if mm. I'd only gone a straight line? I could have been so much farther. Mm, right. But you know what? The zigzags are what make people interesting. So yeah. you, you st from what you told me so far, you started with a, a literature background. Chaotic, okay. I, I can. I'm trying to vision swinging and ending up in a furnace, but that okay. We can work on that. Um, <laughs> but but now you're back at writing. But it, let's let's talk about that time when you were in uh, a sort of a chaotic time growing up um, in Victoria and Toronto, in terms of what was around going on, swirling on around you. How about brothers and sisters? Do you have anybody going along with you at that time that you would say were peers? Uh, well, my mother, when I was six or seven, uh, moved with the sculptor to Florida, to Sarasota, Florida, and I had uh, she had a baby with the, with the sculptor, my stepfather, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, my sister, my half sister, and I—I I would go visit my mother every year for the summer, for mm -hmm. the month of July, and so I was closest to my little sister. Uh, we're three years apart, so when I would go every summer, we were inseparable in that summer. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, 
you know, she, she and I were just, you know, we, we literally tried to glue our, our hands together. And uh, I think we were just really a grounding force for one another, especially since, you know, my mother was very, uh, men were very important to her. She was driven by men. Uh, so even though she was with my stepfather, that didn't last too long. She was with a lot of men when I would go visit her in the summer. So I just don't remember her very well. But I do, you know, I was with my sister. And uh, and then I also had a half-brother uh, with the Russian stepmother. My, my father and I, um, my stepmom had a little baby when I was seven. And so I grew up, uh, when I was with my father and my stepdad, uh, stepdad, uh, mother I was with my little brother and then when I went to Florida I was with my little sister and there were also uh, four half brothers and sisters uh, that came before before myself uh, that were living all over with their their you know uh, mothers mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if that you know yeah well that's, that's that's right I mean I can understand that I mean um some of us have a passel of cousins. I've talked to people who have 20 and 30 cousins, but and you see them periodically and you say, whoa, you know, it's, we're related, but uh, I don't know that I have that, that much in common with them uh, because mm. of being raised in different environments. I don't know how, if yeah. you felt that way with, uh, with the other brothers and sisters that you had. Um, despite the, now, I understand there's one uh, Rilke, who was very close to you. Yeah. Yeah, she was the one in Florida, Rilke, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, how do you think you've, you felt? Do you, do you ever think about those days and say, wow, how did I get to where I'm at now? I, do you think about those days and remember uh, what it was like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how I got to where I am very often and uh i mean the overall feeling of gratitude it was i think there's something to be said for having a uh challenging uh early early years and and you know specifically with you know my own choices as a young adult Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i definitely think how did i get here uh and at the same time I know well how I got, I got to where I am with yeah. with some of the um, again some of the choices I I made. Well, all right, uh, let's talk a minute because the one thing that uh, I was struck <coughs> struck by. Are you there? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. thing I was it just hit a wire here. Um, one thing I was struck by when you're talking about your dad as a poet. Uh, how did that mm-hmm. affect you? Did you did you start off by being interested in poetry, or turned off by it, or or, or by his friends? What? Well, it. I mean, when I think of my father, you know, I always say my poet father. They're they're not separate, mm-hmm. and my earliest memories are being on my father's. Uh, back in one of those little knapsack backs, you know, Mm -hmm. backpack, Mm -hmm. uh, green canvas carrier, and going to his poetry readings with him. And poetry is, is just in me from the youngest age, the rhythm, the, the the comfort in it, 
uh, in terms of what uh, if I what you're saying you asked if I was writing poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always writing apparently because uh, I have journals <laughs> that mm -hmm. I yeah. I'm like oh wow there's a lot of journals from childhood. Uh, I never, however, wanted to be a writer. I definitely did not want to be a writer. I saw that life and it looked lonely, difficult, and in the in my book, I there, I think there's there's a line that says the the constant revisions, the no money. As much as I admired that life, I just that that wasn't for me. And however, all the all the time while I was saying that I was writing, it was what kept me company and uh, suppose mimicked my father in some way with his little, you know, scroll, uh, you mm -hmm. know, he always had a little notepad with him wherever he went. So, so did I. So, you know, yeah. so many of the other people that I interview from the literary world, but not just that, the, the political world and others, um, are journalists they that they that is they keep journals or diaries yeah. or whatever and uh, they got for whatever reason they got into the habit of writing about each day <coughs> or each week or whatever and yes. uh, and uh, you know i think that's got to be a treasure trove of of uh, a way of touching back to see the young on us ward yeah yeah, I think so. The practice itself, and like you said, yeah, the, the treasure trope of it, I mean, there's, as with many authors or non-authors, you know, there's, I have plenty of boxes of, of these going over the years, and when I was writing my book, I did go back into those, and I found uh, very helpful uh, scenes that I could just take right, you know, put myself right back and, and remember that and draw upon that. And so much so that even in adulthood, there were some sections that I just copied from the journals, rewrote, you know, mm -hmm. transcribed, fixed mm -hmm. up a little bit, but, you know, it was right there. Well, all right. So now you had, you got from your father and living with your father, um, this, uh, first of all, the, the poetry, and I, I, you said something really interesting there uh, in passing. You talked about the rhythm of mm. when you're riding, when you're riding on his back, and at the same time, you feel his his voice and his words, whether you understand them or not, is is not the point. But there's a certain yeah. rhythm to life and to speech and to, and to communication. Is that what you're yeah. talking about? Yes. Yeah, I, I had done one uh, Q&A, and the question was, how did I find my voice as an author? Mm -hmm. And it was such an odd question. I mean, not odd question, but all I could think of is I never really thought about my voice when I was writing. However, I do think it comes from those earliest from those earliest days of having, you know, as a, as a baby, as a one-year-old, two-year-old, having my... Uh, you know, I can still feel it now, you know, having my head pressed against my dad's back, you know, the tweed jacket and just the the the, the reverberation of the words mm -hmm. uh, and that rhythm. I am not a poet. However, you know, sometimes some people who read my work say there's a poetic quality to it. 
mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. could, you know, could go back to that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rhythm, yeah, it's something that's can't really articulate, but I think people can kind of understand what I'm saying on sure. some level. I think I think that's true. We're gonna <coughs> we're gonna take a break right now. Uh, we're talking to Hannah Sward, who is the author of a memoir of her life uh, called Strip. Uh, this is John Smetank on with respect, and we will be right back. with Hannah Sward, who is the author of uh, a memoir of her life to a certain point, because she's still creating it, uh, called Strip. We'll see what the the, uh, meaning for all that is in in just a minute. This is John Smetanka. So, Hannah, when we, we broke, we were talking about rhythm and how rhythm can find itself, the rhythm of life and of this case your father's poetry and whatnot can fu- can get subconsciously buried in you you know it's way down deep and it just comes out i was thinking yeah. about uh there's this great line uh of alliteration uh that comes from a poem called don juan and it's a uh, the battle of lepanto i should say uh i don't remember i think it was chesterton or somebody who wrote the the, the poem but i remember this one line has not ever gotten out of my head and it goes when john don juan is uh coming down to to fight the uh uh, the moors or the turks or somebody uh, at the great sea battle of lepanto in the mediterranean uh he describes it he says (coughs) he's arriving said dim drums drumming in the hills half heard and you can just feel the March coming down the hi- from the mountains and down into the to the sea, and it's just really evocative. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, that's that's and, powerful. And I and I found some of that, a little bit of that, uh, explicitly in your work. But I also found the rhythm that you talk about. So mm. I can see where this all, you know, I, I can see where it all comes from now. But also, you had a lot of turmoil in your life, and your mom left you. Uh, left your dad, and he had a number of, of, of wives, and so I, and, and just confusion. And how about that? Yeah. Con- how did confusion affect you? What do you think? I think it really uh, confused. <laughs> God, I feel like I was born confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, how did confusion? Uh, all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. I think, you know, from the youngest age, I just felt like 
I was just so lost, so lost and so unsure of myself and really drawn to, uh, you know, as an example, in, in grade school, I just remember my most comfortable place was under the bleachers, you know, being alone mm-hmm. and and hiding. And that really played out into my adulthood as well with, mm-hmm. with a lot of, uh, you know, places <laughs> that I went uh in in the hiding and uh, you know I'm thinking about going you know life in Victoria for those earlier years and I think that you know the incident when I got I was in a park and I think in those days it was very different too kids you know walked around and I mean they didn't have the awareness or, or the danger that I think they have today although it was there but it because my parents were doing their own thing, creative, free spirits, I had a lot of uh, time alone and freedom, if a lack of a better word. But uh, I I share this example because it kind of sets up my own feeling of of shame and and silence of my own voice. That when I was six, I was in a park swinging and I got kidnapped by a stranger. And he he said that if I ever told anyone what he did, he would kill me. And what happened from that incident, obviously I did not get killed. I'm here today to tell the story, is I got, uh, I think my father was in India. That's my memory of it. And my stepmother uh, found me, and I got in trouble for that. And so I think there was this, from the youngest age, that I can remember this internalization that things were my fault and that to silence my own voice. Because uh, if I spoke up, I would get in trouble. That is my, uh, that's my memory. That's my experience of, of those early days. You know, uh, and you know, you know <clears throat> what you're saying, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, um, in the years that I've been was a prosecutor, um, and I saw, and even today in private practice, I see that over and over and over again. That mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, I mean, it could have been that event, that kind of an event, or some other kind of an event, or a divorce or a separation, it tends to scar. Hopefully, not permanently, but it definitely affects. Um, the young, the children who are in, to whom the event occurs, and they struggle. Yeah. And I, I represented these folks, and when I was these young people, um, when they were a year later, and or thirty years later, and right. the experience just is so real, so real, and so hard to bring out, so hard to bring. Yeah. Out. Painful. Yes. Yeah. Very, very. Uh, writing about it took me a long time to go well, back there. Well, let's begin to talk about your book because your book is a memoir and it brings you on a journey. And um, the journey is of some year's duration. It, it, you didn't just have all of a sudden jump from one thing to the other. and um, It was a step process. Yeah. Now, you, I remember in the first part of your book, <clears throat> you write about 
incidents which occurred when you were young, and they're, they're written in a tone of a young person. Yeah. Uh, it's not an adult-sounding voice when you're talking about something which happened at five, six, seven. So how did you do that? Hmm. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't actually a conscious choice. It was, uh, how did I do that? Oh, <laughs> well, let me, well, let me, so let me, let me be more precise. Yeah. <clears throat> was that a, con- <clears throat> was that a conscious choice uh, where you thought I'm going to, I'm going to talk like I was experiencing this? Cause it's a, in a very exper- experiential book, uh, yeah. one experience after another. And so I wondered whether or not th- that when I was reading the things which happened to you and which you did uh, when you were very young, um, whether or not when you're recounting it came out of your journaling or, um, or your memory or a combination of that or talking to other people who were around you at the time, that mm-hmm. we all can c- go back to our childhood and, and, um, and that's how we supplement our memories. Yeah. Yeah, I think it when I was writing it, I first of all, I didn't want to write a memoir, and I wasn't thinking I was writing a memoir. It was a mentor that I had uh, that I ended up working with. She saw the book in me that, in 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 the acknowledgments that you know I write that she you know she saw the book in me that I was afraid to tell, mm-hmm. and so I did not start out writing uh, as a memoir. However, I did. I was. I actually ended up. I, I began in child in uh, adulthood. I was writing short stories based on on uh, fictionalized adulthood. And my mentor, Jill Sherry Robinson, uh, said, "You need to write about your childhood." And I was very resistant. Uh, however, I trusted her. Looked up to her as a fellow author who was very, you know, and wrote amazing books and New York Times bestsellers. And I, I trusted her and I started to go back into childhood and it really came from, was very fragmented and the memories came as I was writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, I didn't sit down with an outline and, and map it out. Uh, it's not the kind of writer I am, although I did try to write a book that way because I as an experiment uh and and i do think it's easier (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to have to uh that wasn't the case with with this particular book though Uh, it was very fragmented i think pictures helped i think my father's poetry bring me back to that time my own journals i don't recall i not necessarily the journals themselves from childhood I think the writing of them during the time implanted something, though, in my in my being that mm-hmm. held the memory. When you um, you then left yeah. childhood yeah. and you kind of moved uh, through adolescence and onto young adulthood, and mm-hmm. you made some choices, which I think you described earlier, some bad choices. Um, yeah. And you're you're working through it. You during this book, you're you're working your way through this, uh, without getting into any graphic detail. But what what are you talking about in terms of bad choices? Well, when I was 
uh, I had gone to school for a while to college in Miami, and I was waiting uh, for my little sister, Rilke in the book, mm-hmm. uh, fictionalized name, uh, to graduate high school since she was younger. And our, our plan ever since we were kids was that we were going to meet in L.A. as soon as we could. And we did that. And uh, so we met in L.A. and I was in my early 20s. Uh, by the time she graduated high school. And when I came out here, she was, uh, let me back up for a moment. When I was 19, I had, I, I'll just cut to it. I was in Chicago. I was trying to save money to go back to college because uh, I had been in college in Montreal and then that didn't work out. Uh, and I ended up in Florida seeing my mom again. And then that didn't work out in my good friend my best friend was filming something in Chicago she said come here and and so I did and I had this I had a certain period to earn money for college and coming from a family that was we were very uh very very poor and I made choices that uh the choice that I made I I remember I was working in a uh fitness uh 24-hour fitness for one day I lasted <laughs> standing mm-hmm. there in the blue spandex and uh, and I just thought, oh, I can't, you know, I'm making minimum wage. I just couldn't do it. And I remember going home, going to the apartment, uh, having a can of tuna. I always remember the can of tuna opening the Chicago Tribune and looking in the back. And I ended up, you know, I saw an ad saying make such and such money an hour. And I uh, threw that can of tuna out, got another can, and uh, I'm not sure what it is about the tuna that that, <laughs> that I keep coming back mm-hmm, to, but I just mm-hmm. remember it so so specifically. And you know, the next night I was taking the train, uh, the subway, to go meet a man. And uh, at 19, I became a call girl for a period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's. Uh, the first choice that I made, and I say choice because it is very different than people who are thrown into it. Uh, and I also don't want to blame it on, I, I'm not, I don't want to blame it on not having money and on having those resources because I'm very clear that a lot of people who don't have resources don't choose that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had already thrown myself away in, in uh you know, abandoned myself at a very young age, mm-hmm. re-abandoned myself uh, over and over, and made these choices that that uh, that seemed it just seemed like the best the best choice at the time. Sure, you know, make some make some quick money. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. we're be uh, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about this stage in your life, but what it moved into it, what. Uh, what ancillary things happened uh, to bring you to where you eventually have ended up now. Uh, this mm-hmm. is John Smetanka. We're on With Respect. We're talking to Hannah Sward. Hannah is the author of a powerful uh, memoir of her life uh, entitled Strip. And we're going to be talking to her more about the, her life and about her work and where she's going to be going today. Uh, This is, as I say, John Smetanka, and we will be right back.
because she's passed through some interesting and scary times uh, to something new. Uh, We'll be talking with her uh, more about uh, the things that that brought her through and, and got her to where she is today Uh, Some very, as I say, some very difficult times. So, this is John Smetanka. Hannah. Yes. (laughs) Hi. You told us that uh, one set of bad choices you made, and Mm -hmm. you, you went through that period, and you went on. Tell us more about that. Uh, yes, so I, I, so I was, a, like I said, a call girl in Chicago for a period of time and, and earned money co- for college and, and went back to Miami to go to college for a while, uh, where I also fell in love. And, and then I went to, uh, I moved, once my sister was in LA, I moved, moved to Los Angeles. And at the time she was stripping, at, uh, she was doing burlesque at a place called the body shop, which is still there all these years later up on sunset Boulevard. And I went straight from the airport to see her at mm-hmm. the strip club. And I again had no money. I needed to make money to get a car, pay first month's rent. And I went back, uh, to um, back of the newspaper at the time, the LA Times. And I connected with a woman, Madame Ava. That's what I call her in the book, mm-hmm. a Russian Russian madame. And I you know, became a call girl again for the second time, uh, mm-hmm. four years after I had initially beca- you know, been one. And I was not a good prostitute. <laughs> I was very mm-hmm. bad at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't, it sounds kind of strange to say that, but I do think some people can pull it off better than others. <laughs> I was very, yeah. you know, if it's not in you, if it's not in you, it doesn't work. Yeah, I just, uh, wasn't very savvy at it. Uh, but I did make a little bit of money and, uh, and I felt, you know, that, that not felt, I wasn't in the, very desperate state internally. Uh, I felt, I always had felt that desperation and terror within myself. Like I just was someone that, like what I wanted most in the world was to be able to sit with myself. And I also wanted to be able to sit with myself. uh, Well, this this comes later when I was writing to be sit myself so I could write. Mm -hmm. But going back to those choices, uh, I ended up stepping up, so to speak, and stripping with my sister, which was a step up from being a, a call girl, prostitute. I find it easier to say call girl, mm-hmm. uh, even to this day. And that was at first really fun and wonderful because we got to be together, uh, go to work together, make money together. Uh, we were living together. We did everything together, uh, essentially enmeshed, very enmeshed. Um, and during that time, uh, to, we, we somehow got involved somehow we, we got involved in crystal mess for a month because we wanted to lose weight. We felt like we were curvier than the other girls and we had tried all these diets that didn't work. So we asked this girl at the strip club, you know, how do you maintain your body? <laughs> you know, when she's like, mm-hmm. well, mess, you know, crystal mess. And we're like, oh. 
oh, okay. Uh, and so we tried that for a month and it didn't work, which is unheard of, but it didn't. However, that I'll never forget the first time I did it, that I, it was, I was all in, it was like, I, it, 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 it strike, you know, it, it spoke to the, the, I don't know, beast within me. It just, and, and even though I didn't go back to it for a few years, I remembered the first time and the feeling and the ritual, and I was drawn into that world. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there was a point where my sister got married and I really had what I think was like a nervous breakdown. And it was this, I just had no grounding and she had moved to New York and, and I got back into meth and began, you know, a daily user for until I was about 36. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, um, when when and, you in that life, it, it it takes it took you to a place you weren't happy with. I, I I whether it felt good at the time, but if in reading your book, you were not happy to be there uh, or to stay no. there. No, I was it was a desperate situation. I felt desperate the entire time. I mean, it wasn't a party. It wasn't something I did with people, except when you know with my dealers. Uh, it was a lonely horrifying experience uh that i couldn't i couldn't get out of mm -hmm. uh, when i you know for example if when my dealer would go to jail and i i couldn't get any uh drugs the gripping depression and terror i felt was so paralyzing that i thought anything's better than this mm-hmm so I would go back to the to the drugs as soon as that I could get more, and that was that was also a terror. But it was a terror that uh, hmm, I'm not sure how to describe that. I just didn't see a way out. There's that. so there's an accumulation of things here, um, which tracks through your life. You're you're telling about this this uh, downward descent or this descent into something that uh, you weren't really happy with, but you were in there. You, you were hooked. And hooked experientially. Mm -hmm. I'm not, whether it's uh, physically, biologically, or, but experientially, you were hooked. But something yeah. changed. Something changed. What, what was it that, that brought you, and we're going to talk about where you're at now, but um, how did you get through that horrible period of depression and whatnot. Yeah. I, I mean, I formed a community mm -hmm. and I formed something bigger than myself. And it really was, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't continue to do it without community. And when I say community, I mean not, you know, the recovery community, my writing community, spiritual. Uh, and I began, I mean, in some sense, writing my way out of it. Mm -hmm. And the, the process of writing this book was, was the journey itself as well, because it was going back to my 
biggest desire in life was always to be able to be someone that could sit with themselves. You know, I, I saw mm-hmm. my dad mm-hmm. sit with himself, you know, writing the poems. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I wanted that. I thought if I can sit with myself, I have everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I can be anywhere and go through anything and, and have that strength and mm-hmm. that, that uh, sense of grounding. And the very process, of course, of writing a book means you have got to sit down and mm-hmm. and be with oneself. And and so it took many years because I could, when I was in the process of writing it, at first it was just like I couldn't even sit down. It was just like it was all handwritten at first, and I would do two pages scribbled so fast every day just to get it out of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I share that because it took a long time to be able to sit and tolerate the feelings that were coming up that mm-hmm. I had, you know, uh, essentially snorted away uh, mm-hmm. for the last 10 years and to be learn to uh, yeah, tolerate. What, and, and who was there? You said there was uh, different uh, groups, different um, friends, different people that you, that you were to different communities. Uh, mm-hmm. that you worked with and through. Uh, you yes. talked about your writing community and your recovery community. Tell me about the kinds of people and, and the experiences that you had at least, I mean, that, I know this is just something you could talk for days about, but mm-hmm. um, is there some way you can uh, focus a bit on, on how these folks helped you? Yeah, I mean, when I say a recovery group, I am talking twelve step. I know that there's many different oh, yeah. forms of groups out there. That is that is the one that uh, work, worked and continues to work for me. Uh, that in the in the process of hearing other people's stories, in hearing other people how they're going, how they show up and go through life. That that in itself is was and continues to be everything. And when I to get more current, what that looks like and what that continues to look like, my biggest fear my whole life was that my father uh, was my father dying. And in the last twelve years, I've watched people in my community, people that I've in twelve step programs, go through that lose a parent and I've heard them talk to them watched you know the intricacies of how they navigated that uh, on a practical level and then also emotionally oftentimes by simply sharing it which is just the power of story right Mm -hmm. and I was able to show up for my father in a way that I never thought I would be able to Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I, uh, you know, he passed last year. And so my greatest fear came, you know, came it, that, that, you know, ne- I showed up in a way that I'll never regret and that I have, I wouldn't have been able to do without the people surrounding me. Mm-hmm. The 12 step process is uh, commonly, or one play, one way it's called is Alcoholics Anonymous or, um, um, uh, drug anonymous, yeah. and and this is what we're talking about. And by I will let me underline that 
in the process of prosecuting and the process of defending uh, cases, I've seen a lot and a lot of people who have alcohol or drug dependence. And of all the programs that I've had some contact with um, from one side or the other, that 12-step process seems to me to be the best. It has produced the best results for the people who are committed to it. Yeah, that has been my experience. And I have 12 and a half years clean now. And by sharing my experience with other young women, and it's a circular effect, right? I mean, it's a, it's a threefold, or oh, they talk about it being a threefold uh, disease, spiritual. You know, I mean, there's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that. Uh, it's a powerful program, and it's certainly what has and continues to work for me. Um, yeah. Well, it's going to be, um, it's a continuing process. Uh, I think that every person that I've ever talked to or represented or prosecuted will will reinforce this, that it's not something you snap your fingers at uh, and everything in your life changes. Sometimes you have that, but most of the time, 99% of the time, it's a daily struggle. And yeah. and it's, it's one day at a time, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it, yes. And and it was the program, uh, the twelve step program, that helped me write my book because that one day at a time became one word at a time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One breath at a time. Uh, we're, yeah, we're going to take one last break, and then I have a number of areas that I'd like to cover before we finish our our chat. But this is John Smetank, and we're talking on with respect with Hannah Sward, who is the author of a book uh, entitled Strip, a memoir. We'll be right back. back on With Respect with Hannah Sward, the author of a book recently published, a memoir of her life called Strip. This is John Smetanka. So Hannah, when we broke, you were emphasizing that this book was was, uh, useful to you, but important to you, important to you, to get out in front of you on paper. Um what you were dealing with, your life, your where it came from, where you, uh, what experiences you went through, and where you wanted to be in the future. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think that the phrase I saw in several parts of your book, uh, the word you used was spiritual, and among other things, other cultural, uh, uh, the community aspect, but you also had spiritual. Um, and how how did that how did that work into the picture? Well, 
I mean, from the youngest age, you know, with my father and him being very much into uh, Hinduism, essentially, mm -hmm. and the Indian uh, philosophy, um, there was always this sense that there was something greater than myself, mm -hmm. a universal energy. And... Uh, Wait, I'm just I'm just blanking on on. Oh, wait, what was the question? I'm so sorry. Well, the question is, <laughs> the question is, we ha everybody has perhaps a different uh, perspective on the meaning for the word spiritual, and yeah. and just as they do have a different perspective perspective with the word community or communal or mentoring or whatnot, mm -hmm. it it plays out in different ways in everybody's life. And you used the word spiritual, and I was fascinated because, yes, your father was into uh, Hinduism. Um, whether he, you know, how long that continued, I'm not sure. But the point here is that spiritual spirituality has takes many different forms. It's not necessarily only going to church on Sunday. You know, the Ten Commandments, which are all part of mm -hmm. some people's people's spirituality but not everybody so i was yeah. just wondering when you when you talk about spiritual uh it helped get you through uh from what you what you said and what you wrote and i was just curious as to how you how you viewed that how you viewed this the spiritual part of this recovery yeah it's been integral and it's been a growing a growing relationship with myself and something, you know, I call it greater than myself because I do feel like for myself it is this energy. Mm -hmm. And to, in order to tap into that, for me, that means getting quiet, mm -hmm. feeling my feet on the ground. You know, like right now I'm looking out the window. I have a little hummingbird feeder and there's a uh, hummingbird, you know, sucking on the little, <laughs> you know, uh, mm -hmm. nozzle. Mm -hmm. When I slow down and really breathe with and into these moments, for me, that's spiritual, right? Mm -hmm, Anytime mm -hmm. I'm looking up into the clouds, and I don't know if it's, um, there was there's a poem uh, from a famous poet, and it talks about, you know, poking holes in the clouds, mm -hmm. right? And so during the day, it's like I look up and it's like, I, it's like poking holes in my mind, right? Like those taking the breath into my uh into my being I'm not very good at articulating it well you know this is interesting if i could toss in something i was uh, uh thinking about came to me when i was reading your book uh one of the great um books in in western uh literature going back to the 300s was uh the confessions of saint augustine uh of hippo he was a uh, a, a guy who lived a pretty um, wild life, a uh, very bright man. You're a very bright person, and, and he was a very bright man, very smart. Uh, and he got into all kinds of uh, kinds of bad behavior, to put, put it in the nicest possible way. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> he took 12 volumes to write about his life. But there, in fact, there is one famous quote. Uh, he was when he just started coming to the idea. Well, maybe there is something out there that I should pay attention to. He, he said, "He said, Lord, give me chastity and 
and com- what is it? Chastity and containment, but not just yet. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so not he had his yeah he had his yet. priorities were still getting formed here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but right. But I mean, I think that is <laughs> that is the very nature of it. I mean, it took yeah, my, the formation of it took me a long time, and it's a continual process. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that's you know, Hannah, that's the thing that I. I have come to know about uh, the human condition. I thought I was, when I started doing these shows, I started thinking, oh, you know, every, everybody, you know, wanted to be a, a baseball player and they became a baseball player. They wanted to be an actor and they became an actor. No, 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 no. The, the most interesting people are the ones who have taken the zigs and zags, I call them. Uh, yeah. and they, they happen because of, you know, marriage, death, uh, uh, losing your job, gaining a job, finding a love, losing a love, and so on. But it, it takes people uh, in, in places that they never thought they would go. And they yeah. never, and the pathways are so scary at times. And yet, yeah. you come to those times when it's, you, you, for at least a period of time, you get peace. And you yeah. can say, now, I'm, you're looking at clouds. You're looking at that hummingbird. And yeah. you can get some peace. Now you got it tomorrow, you're going to have to start it all over again. <laughs> 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 or earlier than that, but yes. Yeah, and yes. That's right. Yes, yes. And uh, not, not a but, but and yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And that's right, and not but. <laughs> At any rate, so... Um, where do you see you're going now? Do you, I, I understand that you're going to be writing another book. You are writing another book. Uh, how is that coming along? The, well, the strip has been out for four months, so I'm still in very um, immersed in the process of, of uh, the publicity part of that mm-hmm. and all of that mm-hmm. entails. And uh, I... What I'd like to put out next into the world is a short story collection, which <laughs> I mm-hmm. know, you mm-hmm. know that's really a hard one. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I have compiled a lot of short stories over the years that I would like to, uh, you know, see see put out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, they're already compiled, and it, it is a, a collection about love, jealousy, and affairs, and they are fictionalized, so it's a different. Uh, but my first love is poetry. I mean, uh, a short story collection. I mean, short stories. Uh, I think you know, they remind me of poems, right? So it's like it, it is my first love. Mm-hmm. I like the containment of it. Uh, so that 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 will be the next. At least that right now, that's that's the next one that I'd like to to put out into the world. Uh, we, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because. That your first love was poetry, and I can see now you riding on your father's back, and and the rhythm we talked about, and the poetry, and um, it reminds me when uh, I I have snippets of poetry uh, branded into my brain because either uh, it was something my mother would uh, read to me at night, or um, <laughs> I. I um, had to memorize a lot of stuff because when I was uh, young, I was not completely the most obedient person to rules. And so I, had, <laughs> I think I, mem- I memorized the Declaration of Independence, the 
the uh, flag code of Illinois, the Constitution of the United States, and also poetry. And my, I found out later, as I was going through, my mother would tell the story about how she was uh, got out. She was also setting a bad example for us because she did some uh, not bit, no, didn't burn anything down, but did some kind of wild ki- things when she was a kid. And uh, she was in a, 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 a Catholic school, and and the nuns uh, had her memorize poetry. So that, as a result of that, we got the we got uh, the the village blacksmith only twisted as my mother did one night. She said, uh, "Neath the spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. A mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles on his brawny arms." were as strong as, and then the, the original, uh, Longfellow put uh, iron bands, and she put in rubber bands, which caused the nun to say, okay, fine, now we're going to start with the Song of Hiawatha, wise, a, part wise person. And so, at any rate, it's out there, you know, I, this, this poetry, whether you, whether you make it a, a craft that you're going to put down on paper, which I certainly don't, but, or just appreciate it. It's a powerful, mm-hmm. powerful way of expressing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even though I don't write poetry, it's mainly what I read. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I just, it, and sometimes it's not even the whole poem, or oftentimes it's not even a poem. It will be very much just a snippet of it that I'll just, you know, that I'll meditate on, uh, so to speak. And, and it'll just stay with me, just like what you're saying, you know, some of these lines that you're sharing, uh, these, you know, snippets that you're sharing. Uh, there's a number of my poems of my father that just stay with me. And, um, you know, it was, I, I, that was one of the most beautiful things when he, when he was in, when he was passing that we, we uh, were all around his bed and we read, read, read poetry. That's, oh, that's, that's great. Uh, that is great. That's yeah. that, that's the kind of passage that, that everybody would, would like to have, I suppose. I I I th- think it would be great. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And uh yeah, actually right now I'm just looking at one of my favorite poems that he wrote me. It's a very short poem. Uh it's uh yeah. What is maybe it? I might might read that. It's yeah, called Hana. Okay. Read it. It's called Han- Hana. Her third eye is strawberry jam, has a little iris in it. Her eyelids are red, she's sleepy, and the milk has gone down the wrong way. I've just had breakfast with the smallest person in the world. Very nice. Really, <laughs> really nice. And a, and a, and a, um, you know, you take that memory, and it becomes part of you, doesn't it? And you, you, yeah. you it fulfills you because you you find I'm going through papers, um, the legal papers that my father wrote because he was a lawyer, and all of a sudden I think, man, he was a great writer. There's a flow <laughs> to it. It's, it's legalese, but it's 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 captivating, and it brings yeah. back my father's image to me every time I do that. I learned more. Yeah. And what a gift, right? I mean, it when you talk gift. about, like, where did I get these memories from my childhood? 
that poem is, is an example. Yeah. Like I would read my father's poetry or, you know, going through all of his archives now, you know, there's boxes and boxes, of course. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I opened one manuscript uh, that he had written in 1976 for coming back from India. And, and, uh, and just, just recently I opened it to this page and it said mm-hmm. it was a conversation between him and myself where he comes back from India and I'm six years old. And he says, you know, you, I am always in you and you are always in me. And these lines that just, uh, powerful, powerful. Yeah. Unfortunately we have run out of time and I just want to say how much I've enjoyed talking to you. Um, Oh, you too, John, such an honor, such an honor. Oh, that's, that's uh, very kind of you to say that, but it's, uh, um, at any rate, I wish you the best in your uh, career as a writer and as a human being. It sounds like you've got a real good attempt and and increasing grip on who you are and what you want to be. All right? (laughs) All right. Thank you, John. Thank you. Honest Ward, this this, uh, has been our chat with her. Uh, This is with respect, and remember, we're on every Sunday and Thursday, and until you till next time remember our mantra if you show respect to other people they will show respect to you Mm-hmm.